Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly, and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. Hey, I'm so glad you're here. My name is Drake. I'm the pastor here. Welcome to Easter Hangover. Here we are. It was a crazy weekend. Hey, can we just put our hands together for all that God did over the weekend, last weekend of Easter? It was amazing. We had two day, and, and by the way, it's like a, an unknown holiday weekend, apparently. There's people traveling all over the place, hanging out in Moab. Danielle and I were going to take our kids camping this weekend, and it's snowing in the mountains. So I'm like, well, that's not really my jam. So here we are. I chose you over the mountains. You're welcome. Um, I'm glad you chose to be here as well. It really is grateful. Hey, if you're joining online with us, thank you so much. We're glad to have you here as well. We are starting a new series today called Text and Call, and I'm so pumped about it. It's going to kind of piggyback off of what we talked about Easter weekend. If you missed that, you can go back to our YouTube channel, our podcast online on our website, and catch the message from last week. Super helpful and encouraging. God did some amazing things through the weekend. By the way, thank you to everyone who sacrificially served over the weekend. I heard that there was like some 400 bajillion snow cones made by a few amazing volunteers, and uh, I heard that the popcorn stand was popping. Okay, all right, it's okay. I don't get paid for my jokes. So um, I'm really glad you guys are here. We're we're starting a new series around uh, this idea of of the Bible and Scripture, especially kind of in a post-Christian context, and and we're going to just evaluate some of the really hard questions. And so we're not afraid of the hard conversations here at City Church. In fact, we think it's really helpful to equip us as we follow an apprentice under Jesus. But I want to do some backwards work today as we dig into this new series. By the way, uh, Fitz was talking about this new Nehemiah series. So once a year, we try to walk through an entire book of the Bible, and it'll kind of piggyback well off of the series that we're in. And so over the summer, we're going to walk through the entire Old Testament book of Nehemiah. And so there's these really cool like scripture journals. They're like itty-bitty little big, uh, but, but they have like margins on both sides so that you can walk through the text with us each week and then take notes and things like that. So that, that's what he was talking about. If you are really interested, Circle B, we'd love to get you those. We just have to order them ahead of time. So as we get into this series, I want to take you back to Easter weekend. We talked about it last week that, that if you and I get what I'm about to share with you backwards, it makes faith very fragile. Again, I don't know your, kind of what you grew up around. I don't know where you are on your spiritual journey. I don't know if you're walking in with you know, zero knowledge and understanding of Jesus and, and the Bible and church and things like that. Or maybe you have a lot of experience and some of it's kind of heavy baggage for you. Maybe you have some, you know, the, the Bible says kind of living that didn't have any bearing on your life. Or maybe you had some people who, who talked about the Bible as authority, but then for some reason they didn't actually live like it. Or, or maybe you grew up in it and then you were faced with what, you know, the hard questions in college or in your friend circles and all of a sudden you're wrestling with, okay, how does this apply to my life? So the work that you and I did last week sets us up for our conversation today. So I'm going to revisit it. You, you guys ready for that? All right, here we go. So last week we talked about an event. An event that changed everything for everyone. We talked about how there were no Jesus followers the night that Jesus was crucified on a cross. There was no church. There was no movement. There was simply a very dead Jesus and some very disillusioned Jesus followers. There was no one on Sunday standing at the tomb, counting down from 10, anticipating a resurrection. All hope was gone because when Jesus died, hope died with him. And so last week we celebrated that it was not 
the Bible that created Christianity. It wasn't Christians that created Christianity, but it was actually the resurrection of Jesus from the dead that created both. And so everything, as Jesus followers for you and I, starts with an event that then culminates in a movement, what you and I experience and know as the church today, not only in the first century, but, but 2,000 years later, miraculous things that the church has survived, and then it turns into what you and I know now as the Bible in that order. And again, if we flip this upside down, if we get this backwards, and we think that our formation, our following of Jesus, our apprenticing under Jesus, our faith and our trust in Jesus rest on the Bible says, then it it gets us backwards in what it means to follow Jesus. Kind of makes faith fragile, kind of like a, a house of cards. And so again, I don't know what you've grown up with and your relationship with the Bible as you walk in today. Uh, some of you have ha- had the kind of space of the Bible says it, that settles it. And then you went to college and you're like, oh wait, that didn't settle it. <laughs> and you're like, oh crap, you know? So, so there's some space and some disconnect sometimes. Or again, you know, there's just disillusionment of people who claim one thing and then live another way. And you're like, well, that doesn't make any sense. And, and, and so then maybe I don't want any part of that. But it's really important that you and I remember that the Christian faith following Jesus, it didn't start with Genesis, the first book of the Bible, but rather it started with Jesus. And so you and I are coming today not, not from a space of, okay, the Bible says, therefore, let's go from there, but rather the resurrection of Jesus then culminates in the church as we know it and the Bible as we know it. And it makes everything that we follow trustworthy as a result. So that's, that's kind of my just really quick recap, okay? But it still begs the question, can we trust the Bible? In fact, I've had people, because, because I'll make this argument, and it's totally coherent as you, as you put it all together, but because we have a Bible that follows the resurrection, and if you and I wait until a Bible to believe in Jesus, we're waiting until almost you know, 400 years later to, to have any people believing in Jesus, which doesn't line up timeline-wise, but it still begs the question, well, how, how do we know that the Bible as we know it today is reliable? And so, so we could you know, start a conversation around some criticism and judgment and all the hard questions, and we'll do that for a second. Uh, there's no way I can cover everything today, but we're going to wrestle with a little bit of the hard things today, and we'll keep doing it through this series. But the word Bible, in case you didn't know, it comes from the Greek word biblia, which literally means the books. So, so the Bible, as you know, there's some in the backs of the seats in front of you. You're welcome to take those home. Those are gifts to you. The Bible on you know, your phone or wherever you're using it, the books or the sacred books, these kind of these compilation of 66 books as you and I know it today, and the question is, are, are they sacred, and how do we, how do we relate to them? And, and again, we could start with all the challenging stuff, like, let, let's not ignore the fact that, you know, there's some really weird stuff in the Bible, like polygamy, and holy war, and, and sexual assault, and like, and then, I mean, there's just some really weird things that you're like, okay, what do you do with that? And then on top of that, there's like all the miraculous which is just a non-starter for a lot of people, kind of our age of reason. It, it doesn't fit in. Okay, maybe it's a literary genre, but, but it didn't actually happen. The Red Sea wasn't actually parted. Jesus didn't really turn water into wine. All I'm saying, they weren't partying with water, okay? I just want you to know. That's a joke. Okay, we're, we're going to have fun today, guys. But we get to the miraculous, and it really does start to become a challenge. Uh, and obviously, I, I think if you can play it backwards, if you can trust in Jesus and the resurrection then every other thing can follow from that. So that's why we start in that direction. But at the same time, there are some really challenging things in the Bible. Like there's teachings in the scriptures, not Old Testament and New, that are at odds with both sides of kind of the progressive conservative political spectrum, 
right? There's stuff offensive. So we could just take a couple weeks and just offend everybody if we wanted to. It's like my favorite thing to do. It's a spiritual gift of mine. So like we, we could do that, but it might not help us get to the goal and the posture that we're after today, right? And, and, and I, I was reading this week and I heard it said that there is kind of culminating a generation-wide breakdown of trust in the Bible, specifically my generation and depending on which side of that you're on. Um, unfortunately, for, for many in my generation and maybe up and coming and maybe for you, the, the Bible kind of feels like an obstacle to faith over an aid to faith. And there's a lot of hard things that people don't know how to wrestle with. And, and, and again, I, I say that in light of maybe a few generations prior where the, where the Bible was not questioned. And again, it really was the, the, this kind of, you know, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it kind of a space. And then if something's hard, you just kind of ignore it and move on. In, in addition, you and I live in a cultural kind of moment and pressure that makes us very uncomfortable. I was reading this week, and, and, and it was, one of the books I was reading said that sometimes it's not clarity in the Bible that's the challenge, right? We're like, oh, well, it's just not, you know, it's not clear, so therefore we can't, it's not reliable. That's just in, more times than not, that's not the issue. The problem is the Bible is super clear sometimes on really painful things, and it makes us uncomfortable. It's either painful for us or painful for the people that we love. And so, so, so sometimes it's not that the Bible is just confusing, but rather it's, it's just offensive or hard to swallow. And the Bible deals with all kinds of stuff, like, like identity and accomplishment, and salvation and faith, and heaven and hell, and money and stuff, and sex and sexuality, and loving our neighbors and our enemies, and justice and worship, and food and drink, and, and control and surrender, and the list goes on and on and on. And if you want to be offended this week, just pick it up. It's a challenging, right? Um, there's this guy named John Collins who's working on um, this thing called the Bible Project. I don't know if you've heard of it. I'll introduce you to it a little bit today. But he said that we are moving into where many people are becoming post-Bible Christians, which is just a step away from being post-Christian. Um, and, and so listen, I, I, I'm just kind of framing it up to say, hey, listen, no, no one's hiding under a rock pretending like this isn't challenging. And if, if you are, then, then let's get out from under the rock and let's have some hard conversations. But I get it. If you're working out your relationship with the Bible today, I understand where you're coming from, and, and I realize you might be coming from all kinds of different angles. You might be a Jesus follower who just is wrestling with some hard stuff and how, how, to, how to live in that tension. You might be kind of on the outside looking in, not really sure what you believe about Jesus and the church, but you definitely have been offended a time or two, or you have some people that have just really disillusioned you. So, so we could start as critics. We could start there. Uh, we, we could start as kind of defenders, um, trying to, you know, do our best to make ourselves feel a little better about some of the hard stuff. Uh, we could start with what the Bible says about itself, which is kind of a non-starter for a lot of people, right? Like the Bible itself claims to be scripture. You're like, I don't think that works like that. Like, it's like circular reasoning. So you're like, okay, that's not, a, that's not really helpful. And again, maybe, maybe you're a follower of Jesus and maybe you know the Bible and love the Bible and trust the Bible. But, but again, there's also like, we know people who have really good like Bible, like head knowledge, they have good theology but then they're not very good at loving and modeling the way of Jesus to others. And so we're like, okay, well, maybe knowing the Bible is not enough. So what's the disconnect here? So uh, we can start in a lot of ways. Today I want to start with a different heart, heart posture. Instead of starting with, you know, critic, defendant, wh whichever side, like what if we started as apprentice under Jesus? Like what if our heart posture was, was not either side, but just apprentice or follower of Jesus? So let's start with Jesus, Okay. Jesus was a rabbi, which literally, we, we talked about it in the 13-week series we just got done with. That, that word literally meant to be a teacher. 
And specifically, a teacher of what? The scriptures. Like his Bible, the Old Testament, the the 39 books on the front side of your Bible, Jesus was a teacher, a rabbi of the Old Testament. And he would read and he would teach from those scriptures with authority. It's amazing to think about our position up against the scriptures as we follow Jesus. And so not only that, what I love about Jesus, he, he would reject other people's like abuse and misuse of the scriptures or his Bible. Jesus, as a Jew, would have been saturated with scripture. And so he, he has this tension of Jesus himself. Again, this guy, if we're working backwards, if Jesus resurrected from the dead, he's not only trustworthy for salvation, but for everything else, even the hard stuff. And so you work backwards, Jesus himself believed that, that the scriptures were this divinely inspired, simultaneously human-authored work. So listen to Jesus here in Mark chapter 12. He's, he's talking to some religious leaders, and they're asking him about uh, this guy named David and the Messiah and, you know, how there's this, like, generational Messiah coming. But, it, but it's more than just, a, like, a descendant, a normal person, but, but it's actually God. So he says, uh, in the temple, how, how do the scribes say that Christ is, is the son of David? David himself, listen to Jesus, in the Holy Spirit... So Jesus is referring to the Old Testament as David writes, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to declare that the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Jesus proving that the one coming was not just a descendant of David, but God himself. But it's amazing that Jesus would make an argument. I don't want you to miss it. Jesus makes an argument. This is the most uh, black and white reference that we have of Jesus making an argument for a divinely inspired authorship. Isn't that amazing? That's a pretty big deal. I, I didn't know this prior to you and I digging in. But it's not just like Jesus' posture of how he understood the scriptures, but look how he used the scriptures. This is Luke chapter 4. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returns from the Jordan after he was baptized, and he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. That makes sense. I'm hungry right now, right? It's only been 30 minutes. The devil said to Jesus in in this space, if you're the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written. Now, isn't it amazing that God in Abad (laughs) references scripture as authority here? Not like, well, listen to me, devil, I'm Jesus. Don't you know who I am? What does he do? He actually goes back to the scriptures and he quotes from, uh, from Deuteronomy 8.3. Again, verifying. So, so it's not just like he believes that the scriptures are, are, are divinely inspired, but then he also submits to them and uses them as such. It's pretty amazing, right? So this is Jesus' heart posture. And again, I, I want you to think about your own life. Like if you're a Jesus follower, many of us don't prioritize the Bible in our daily lives because we just have kind of a, a, a little kick for ancient literature, right? We just like every day we like love to dig into some really hard old documents from some time in the past with old dead guys, right? That's not your bent. If you're a Jesus follower, many of you are prioritizing the Bible because you love, trust, and are following Jesus. And so John Mark Comer says it this way, um, talking about the scriptures in, in this space. He says that there is no legitimate version of apprenticeship to Jesus. You have, have that on the screen? Yeah, there it is. There is no legitimate version of apprenticeship to Jesus that does not have a central place for the Bible and does not read the Bible as scripture. Now, now, what you need to know about this, you're like, well, anybody can make that claim. What you need to know is that he almost walked away from his faith 
as an incredibly influential pastor over the issue of the B-I-B-L-E. And his conclusion after tons of effort, tons of work, tons of disillusionment is this right here. There's another guy by the name of Andrew Wilson who says it this way. I don't trust Jesus because I trust the Bible, but rather I trust the Bible because I trust Jesus. So again, we're, we're kind of approaching a heart posture today, just to realign our lives a little bit as apprentices of Jesus. Now, um, I want to just give you a few resources because I love to do this. Um, Andrew Wilson wrote a really good little book, it's itty bitty, take you like two hours to read, called Unbreakable. And just kind of referencing what Jesus said about the scriptures. And so really, really good. Handles more than I can handle on, on one day. And so I highly recommend you pick that up. It's on Audible, Kindle, you name it, anywhere you want to pick it up. It's so good. And then in addition to that, there is uh, these two guys, Tim Mackey and John Collins, who are working on this thing called the Bible Project. You guys heard of it? I, I, so, some of you have. I, I like live under a rock sometimes, so I learned about it this week. So I dug into it. It is awesome, like so cool. And it's so super helpful, kind of helping you wrestle with uh, putting the pieces of, of understanding the Bible together. So I highly recommend these two resources to you just as you dig in on your own. Now, what I want to do the rest of our time is just spend time digging into what Jesus said about the scriptures. Can we do that? And again, we're just, we're just examining heart posture today, that if we can trust Jesus, we can trust what he said and how he was positioned towards the scriptures. That's where we're leaning today. So let's, let's keep going. Matthew chapter 5. Let me show you this, this really hard-hitting text from Jesus, talking to some religious leaders. He says, don't think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets, which anytime you see this language in the New Testament, it's speaking about the, like the Jewish Old Testament. Our Old Testament today was their Bible, their scriptures, okay? Their divinely inspired words. So Jesus is referencing the Old Testament. He says, don't think I have come to abolish or to do away with the Old Testament scriptures. To, and that word abolish literally means to like tear down, to actually disobey, to deconstruct. Right? We have a lot of language in our culture of like deconstructing your faith. And, so, and, and I understand because there's a lot of hard stuff. But Jesus said, I didn't come to deconstruct it, but rather to fulfill it. And, and here's why he had to say that, because Jesus' teaching was so radical to the religion of his day that some assumed that he was just doing away with it altogether and making something new. He says, no, 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 don't be confused. I didn't come to get rid of it, to tear it down, but actually to fulfill it. That word can be translated obey. So literally the exact opposite of what people are assuming, I came to fulfill it to a T. And Jesus is actually speaking that the entire Old Testament is pointing to himself. I am the fulfillment of everything you've been reading, Jesus says. He goes, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, not a scribble will pass from the law until all of it is accomplished. He goes on. And he says, therefore, whoever, listen to this from Jesus, okay? This is his position on the scriptures. Whoever relaxes one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So, so he, here's what he's saying. Anyone who shows up against the scriptures and kind of picks and chooses and you're like, oh man, we don't have to obey, obey that thing over there. And you know, let's, let's make it fit our cultural context over here. And well, that's kind of offensive. So let's not like, talk about that. Anyone who approaches the scriptures in that way, he says, you're least in the kingdom. And whoever shows up and practice, well, we love this word, right? We talk about following Jesus is not about trying, but about training. So Jesus does all the work and then we show up alongside him. 
And so that word practice is there again. Whoever practices takes seriously the scriptures. And then specifically, Jesus is going to reference from this space his expansion on the scriptures. So I need you to understand, Jesus doesn't just have a high view of scripture as divinely inspired in the Old Testament, but then he's going to go on and then add to it or expand on it, and he also assumes that his words are functioning as divinely inspired. So for some of your Bibles, you know, they might be like highlighted in red. Not the ones in the, in the seat backs in front of you, but some of them, right? To, to elevate Jesus' words as authority and scripture. And he goes on, he says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, which these are the like, religious elite of the day. They know the scriptures backwards and forwards. They probably have it all memorized. They're living like super devout lives to a T. He says, unless your righteousness, your right living is better than them, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven, to which it would have been a shock factor. Wow. Who can be better than the scribes and Pharisees? And Jesus said, you're looking at him. And I came to do for you what you could never do on your own. But Jesus is also making a point here. This is not just about head knowledge, but practice to get it from your head to your heart to your hands. And some of you, listen, some of you have this experience of people who have a lot of this and none of this and none of this. And others of you have been around people who it like bleeds out of them. You're like, man, whatever they have, I want that's the difference of, of what Jesus is setting up here. And so for Jesus, there is this reciprocal relationship I don't want you to miss of our experience with the Bible, the scriptures, and the kingdom of God. And so then he goes on actually to teach and expand on the Old Testament scriptures. Check this out. He would say like in Matthew 5, you have heard that it was said. It was just over and over again. Sermon on the Mount is, is maybe what you've heard it as. Go read it for yourself. All of Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said, but I say to you. You have heard that it was said, but I say to you. You have heard that it was said, but I say to you. And what Jesus is doing is verifying the Old Testament scriptures and then expanding on it, actually making it even harder, even more challenging. Even, not, not what can I get by with, but what does love require of me? A higher calling into the scriptures as authority. And so here's why this is so important. Jesus' way of reading the Bible would call into question others' interpretations and ways of reading the Bible, right? That's what he's doing here. He's looking at his religious leaders of the day, and he's calling into question their approach to the scriptures. And I would argue that he wants to do the same for you and I that he is challenging our approach, that maybe the issue is not with the scriptures, but with my heart and with my mind. And again, listen, not, not, not avoiding hard stuff. There's plenty to talk about, and we can get there. But Jesus is not calling you and I to simply write interpretation, but rather he's calling us to formation and transformation, the heart behind the practice. So as we go on, I, I want to set up just a few more pieces for you. For Jesus in his day, he kind of had the left and the right like you and I have today, kind of conservative, like fundamental, and then like progressive and liberal. And, and so he had, you know, these different spaces. And, um, uh, you know, for us today, depending on kind of where you sit in your relation to the Bible, there's people who kind of approach the Bible as, you know what, it's full of errors. It's full of contradiction. Yeah, it's like historical literature that you can appreciate, but it's not meant to be obeyed or followed or submitted to. It's not scripture. It's not divine. And, and human word combined is just not, not the case. Other, other people have this kind of fundamental approach, like it's, it's perfect and perfectly clear. 
until it's not. <laughs> like, it's, this, it's this really unique space of like, we don't doubt the Bible, we don't ask hard questions, you just believe it and submit to it and you follow it and you obey it and, and, and we don't ask hard questions when we, you know, and, and then you know what, actually if it doesn't work in our favor, then we'll kind of move some stuff around. But other than that, it's perfect. And so there's two extremes and, and it's not just for us uh, because Jesus had that too. There's these two groups of religious leaders, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. So let me show you. Mark chapter 12, this is uh, these guys named the Sadducees, and uh, they, they were like, like intellectual gurus, okay? They, they, were, they, they didn't believe in the supernatural, they didn't believe in the resurrection, uh, in fact, they didn't even hold to the entire Old Testament scriptures, they only used the first five books, and, uh, and so they show up challenging Jesus, super progressive, kind of looking to accommodate the scriptures to fit their cultural good life. Maybe you're familiar with that? <laughs> kind of trying to make the scriptures fit, you know, what's comfortable in Boulder, Colorado in 2022, I mean, we would never do that, but like that's, that's what they were doing, right? So Mark chapter 12, the Sadducees come to Jesus and say, hey, uh, I'm sorry, they, they believe there's no resurrection, and they ask him a question. So again, know their, their posture, super arrogant. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, this is like the hypo- hypothetical scenario of all scenarios. If, if uh, a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. They represent this scenario. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. He goes on. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third, likewise. And the seven left no offspring. So you should start asking questions about, like, what's wrong with this lady, right? Seven dudes died, and then she died. All right, anyway, so last of all, the woman died. Well, that's good. All right, in in the resurrection, listen, in the resurrection, which they don't believe in, When they rise again, whose wife is she going to be? They're trying to trip Jesus up. Been married seven times. Well, now he's got, she's got seven husbands. What's going on? For the seven had her as a wife. It goes on. Jesus said to them, is this not the reason that you, now, now hear, hear Jesus' tone. Is this not the reason that you are wrong? Day. <laughs> uh, you know, you're closed. No, no, no softballs here. Is this not the reason that you're totally, absolutely wrong? <laughs> because you know neither, listen, you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Isn't it interesting for Jesus that he connects knowing the scriptures, divinely inspired, and the power of God in our lives. Now watch what he goes on. In verse 25, I think. You got that? Yeah. For for when they rise from the dead, he explains it, they're not going to marry or be given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses? The one that you've memorized, this is kind of a stab at them. Have you not read the very scriptures that you know in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and the God of Jacob? He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. (laughs) Yeah, come on, savage Jesus. That's what I'm talking about. So, uh, again, loving correction, but Jesus says, hey, you're you're actually missing out on the power and activity of God. So, So that's the Sadducees, right? Kind of just this total left side avoiding all power and authority and and divinely inspiration of scripture then you have the pharisees who are like the super fundamentals john chapter 5 let me show you john jesus is talking to them and and these guys are like heavy duty devoted to the scriptures he says you search the scriptures talking to the pharisees because you think that in them you have eternal life and it's actually they that are bearing witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you might have life. He, 
You see, the Pharisees were so devoted to the scriptures that they elevated them over a relationship with God. It was an idol in their heart, if you will. You see, their posture is off. It probably started out really good, but the posture changed to where they elevated this above everything. They replaced God and the Holy Spirit with the Bible. And unfortunately, there's some people culturally that do that today. Ignore the Holy Spirit completely, elevate the Bible. And so we have these high and low views of Scripture. And Jesus says, don't miss the point. It's still a means to an end. It's still about Jesus. It's not about a book. We don't worship a book. It's Jesus. And it's all pointing to him. So, for them, he, said, he would say, you, you love the scriptures, but you don't love people well. And that's an issue. They're missing the direction. So for Jesus, he, he's not conservative, he's not, he's not progressive, and we could stop there. We could stop there today and say, cool, let's land somewhere in the middle, don't be super progressive and liberal, like, but don't be super conservative, let's just kind of land somewhere in the middle with Jesus. And, and while he was somewhere in the middle, I want you to, to, to understand that, that what we're talking about is not just technique in understanding and reading scripture, not just the mind, but what Jesus is also pointing us toward is a heart posture toward him and the scriptures. So here's what's amazing. Is, is that Jesus not only would, would then speak words expanding on the scriptures and creating his own scriptures and, and uh, uh, letting us know that we can trust in them as divinely inspired, so our four gospels in the New Testament, but you might ask the question, and rightfully so, like how do we know that the rest, okay, so Jesus verified the Old Testament scriptures and maybe his words, but what about like the rest of the New Testament? Like how do we know that that stuff is reliable? And I mean, Jesus wasn't alive to verify that it was scripture. Well, here's what's unique, is that Jesus would, would empower 12 apostles he would send the Holy Spirit and he would verify not only his position on understanding the Old Testament scriptures, but then in sending out these new apostles with the same disposition of a divinely inspired word. And so Peter, we talked about him last week, one of Jesus' closest followers would look backwards, hold Jesus' same view of scripture, and then write in addition to the letters that the early church was receiving that those also were scripture. In addition, there's a guy named Paul who was a hardcore Pharisee. He was known as Saul before he met Jesus to the letter. I mean, devout, devout Pharisee, super fundamental. He meets Jesus. His life completely changes, becomes a writer of what we have as a third of the New Testament today, and he would verify that the New Testament letters that we have are scripture as well, divinely inspired, human-written words of God for you and I, which I need you to understand is a really big deal for a really devout Pharisee to shift gears and add to his Old Testament scriptures. You guys with me on this? There's a lot that we could cover we don't have time for, but I want to evaluate our, our heart posture today. So let me show you in 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is from Paul. He says, for, he's, taught, he's writing to Timothy, a, a new church leader. He says, for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. There it is again, this, this high view of scripture, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That word wise, it, it means this combination of like intelligence and goodness, a, a love for people and the ability to rightly apply knowledge for right living. He goes on. He says, all scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable, helpful for you and I. It's inspired. There's different words people use. So divinely inspired human authorship, and it's helpful, as in today, 
or tomorrow, Monday, when you wake up and you start going to your grind, Scripture is helpful. It's not a burden. It's an aid. And he tells us how. For teaching. We talked about this in our last series. Teaching is aimed at the head in order to get into our heart. It gives us a new understanding, a new possibility of life and following Jesus. It gives us a new vision for the good life. One of my friends picked up, picked up just one of the, the Gospels, picked up Luke recently and started reading and is understanding, whoa, like look at all that Jesus has for us. The very first book that I read when I became a follower of Jesus at 15 was John. And I was like, this is amazing. Teaching gives us a new vision for the good life that Jesus has for us, for rebuke, that word we don't like, but it means revealing all the ways that we are currently living out of alignment. Guess what? There's going to be moments when you and, you and I, and, or I'm sorry, when myself and, and God, we don't agree. And one of us is probably right. And sometimes I want it to be me. <laughs> and more times than not, it's him. <laughs> By more times, probably all the time. <laughs> There's this thing inside of us that gets out of alignment. And to pretend like that's not the issue, or that's not the case, is, is just being naive. And it's being lazy. So we need rebuke, it's good for us to show us where we're out of alignment. Why? Look at this, for correction. That is bringing back into alignment. Here's the amazing thing about the heart of God is he's not slamming you with where you're out of alignment. Feel bad, feel guilty, feel shamed. Like, be, you know, just, just absolutely trudge through life as just a terrible person. He's a good dad who loves us and so he corrects, shows us where we're out of alignment but for our good. Yesterday, uh, um, we were getting ready for bed, and, and, and my kids are six and four, and just had a, a little bit of miscommunication. And they didn't listen well, and I asked them what happened, and, and one of my kids lied to me. Not, not, I mean, just a little white lie, like just in, you know that immediate. I'm in trouble, therefore I'm gonna cover myself. You know what I mean? Like, like it wasn't a, a terrible lie, but he lied, and I knew he lied. I knew the answer. I'm like, that's not true. Don't lie to me. You're gonna have a consequence for that. And 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 we, we walked through it, and I watched him as the reality of, of what, what, what happened was going on. And then he, he looked at me as he understood what just happened. And he said, I, I'm sorry for lying. And I could tell it was genuine. Like, he realized, caught himself, right? And sometimes you and I get there. And I stopped. I said, thank you. I love you. And it's always going to be better to tell the truth. And you're not going to get a consequence because you said you're sorry. And I take the time to love and correct him because long term, that's going to serve him well in life. I want his good. It's not about me. It's for his good and the good of others and ultimately the glory of God. That's his heart posture towards you and I. And check this out. The word training is, is the word pedia. It means this overall process of growth as in a parent, and, and, uh, like two parents, helping a child grow and mature. The scriptures are good for training in right living, nurturing. And he goes on, that the man of God, or other translations use the servant of God, which I prefer that word, might be, might be complete. That word is artios in the Greek. It's as if to say the ideal example of something. Like if you could hold up the perfect example of something. He says that, that's what we're after. That you and I would be complete in Jesus' image, equipped for every good work. So, as we wrap up our time, I'm going to invite Isaac to come, and I just want to give you some things to reflect on as we, as we close out our time. Um, as Isaac comes, I just want you to like, you know, posture your heart a little bit with me. We read the Bible, hopefully, as apprentices of Jesus, and it changes our posture. But why? Why do we do it? 
We read the Bible to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to learn to do what Jesus did. You thought you could get away from it, right? (laughs) There it is again, 13 weeks and it's back. We read the scriptures so we can be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did if he were you and me. Right now, 22, Boulder, Colorado, your age and stage of life, your circumstances. And I need you to understand, listen, Jesus is after spiritual formation, not just information. This is more than technique and how to approach the scriptures. It's posture. You and I live in a culture saturated with information. And you know why we, we, we thrive on information? All of our school systems, everything we do is about information. Cram as much in as you can, as fast as you can. Why? Because the more information you have, the more control you have. But Jesus isn't, I mean, information's good, but it's not what he's after. Information leads to transformation. You know what's ironic about following Jesus? Is it ends up not in control, but surrender. Yielding, giving up control, trusting in him. That that formation is about a quality of being and life rather than a quantity of how much I know and how much I can flex. To submit to Jesus is also to submit to the scriptures as God, God's word for you. It's timely because it's timeless. Information's not bad, it's just not enough. So I just want to encourage you with this. The greatest challenge for you and I today, the greatest challenge of following Jesus is trust. That's our wrestle with the scriptures. Something rubs us the wrong way. It's offensive to me. It's offensive to you. It's offensive to a friend who's not a follower of Jesus. And all of a sudden we're like, maybe we can tiptoe around that or cut that part out or avoid it altogether. But it comes back to, man, if Jesus rose from the dead and I can trust him with my eternal life, then I can trust him with my Monday and my relationships. See, the Bible forces us, the scriptures, they force us to confront our efforts of control. This little three-year-old inside of us that screams, you're not the boss of me. And we remind ourselves that we don't come to Jesus through control. Paul says it's by grace through faith. We do nothing to earn it, maintain it, or deserve it. Jesus died the death that we deserve. He was buried and he rose again. He paid the payment for our lives to buy us back into the family of God. We do nothing for it other than receive it. We're not in control. So we can come back again and again to trusting in Jesus. And so here's my encouragement for you. The scriptures are a space where we can listen to God's voice. But it's also a space where we're going to have the hardest moments of being at odds with Jesus. And the question for you and I is, are we going to yield to Jesus? Is he Lord or not? Jesus said to some of the Pharisees, that one of the reasons they were out of alignment with what he came to do in John 8 was because his word could find no place in their heart. Speaking to a hardness of heart. And if you're a follower of Jesus, man, let let it not be said of you and I that there's no place in our heart for his word. And so what if, listen, listen, 
This is not ignoring the hard stuff. But maybe instead of questioning the Bible, let's just change our heart posture. What if we let the Bible question us? What if instead of interrogating the scriptures, what if we let it interrogate us? What if instead of showing up as the judge or the defendant, we should show up as apprentices and let it love and work and transform and heal our hearts and our minds? Don't forget the why here that we trust in Jesus. We surrender to Jesus because he first surrendered for us. He gave for us. None of this is, is trying to prove anything to God. It's in response to his incredible love that we give up control and we surrender because of his love for us, that he gave up control. He surrendered for you and I. And so this week, two things. Number one, I just want you to process your heart posture toward, toward Jesus in light of this conversation. Listen to these words. Trust, surrender, yield, to give up control. How do those words make you feel? Maybe there's something you've been wrestling with with Jesus, something you've been struggling to surrender, to trust. I just want you to evaluate your own heart posture. Just take an honest assessment of where you are. And the second thing is this. Have an honest conversation with your city group this week about the scriptures and their current place in your life. No matter where you are on your spiritual journey, you're loved, safe, and welcome. We're not going to avoid hard conversations. You don't have to put on a face and pretend like there's not struggles. There's a lot of things I wish the Bible didn't say. <laughs> like, man, that'd be sweet if I could just rewrite that part. but do I trust Jesus? Am I going to surrender to Jesus? Am I going to yield to Jesus? So this week, there's going to be space. If you're not in a city group, we'd love to have you in one. If you don't have the space for that, maybe this is a conversation over a meal with some friends, mentors, family members, whatever the space is. Just have an honest conversation. And don't miss out because the series is going to continue to accomplish some of the hard work. So listen, we're not avoiding hard questions. If you have more questions and more things, we're happy to resource you. But this is a good start. Our heart, heart posture. So let me pray for us. As you bow your heads and close your eyes, I'm just going to take a moment and let us, let us pray and, and reflect on all that God has done in this space. It's an honor to gather with you. It's an honor to teach the scriptures. It's an honor to push on you a little bit and, and make you uncomfortable. And I'll be honest, guys, I showed up this week uncomfortable. But I also showed up full of hope and confidence. I don't have to defend the Bible. I just get to follow Jesus. And there's a written, divinely inspired word for me and for you to help us be wise at life. I don't know about you, but I could use some of that. Wise in our relationships, wise in our marriages, wise in our parenting wise in our futures and our careers, wise with our money and stuff. There's a lot of me that feels unformed, and maybe that's the same for you. And the good news is Jesus is in the business of transformation. So no matter where you are, as you just kind of have your heads bowed and eyes closed, this is just a moment of private reflection for you. I just want you to evaluate your heart posture. And maybe to line up your, your head and your body with your heart right now. 
Maybe choosing surrender is a space for you over and over again. It's not a one-time decision, it's a daily decision. So maybe in the space that you're in right now, you just flip your palms up in your lap, hands open wide. That's an outward demonstration and expression of your internal heart posture right now. Jesus, I surrender. Jesus, I trust. Jesus, I yield. Jesus, I give up control because you're good and you love me and you're for me and I need you. Maybe you're in the room this morning and as you're praying and reflecting on your own heart and mind, maybe there's never been a point in time where you have trusted Jesus as the one who can forgive sin and make us completely new and adopt us into the family of God. Maybe there's never been a point in time where you have started a relationship with Jesus and the invitation is laid out clearly that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again to give us access into a relationship with God that no religion could ever earn us. No church attendance, no Bible reading, no morality could ever get us to. It starts by responding to that incredible gift that Jesus purchased with his life for you. So maybe, maybe this morning for the first time you would just pray in your own heart and mind, Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God. I believe you rose from the grave and I believe that you can do in my life what you said you would do to make me new, to give me a relationship with you and to start transforming me from the inside out. And if you would pray that prayer for the first time today in your heart and mind, I just want you to have confidence. As you pray that prayer, God can hear your silent prayers just fine. And the moment you cross the line and receive that gift of salvation from Jesus, heaven rejoices. And we want to as well. And so if you're making that decision, we'd love to know on that connection card. God, thank you so much for the opportunity to learn and to continue to apprentice well under Jesus. Help us to have reflective hearts and let your scriptures inform this day and this week as we follow you. It's in Jesus' name.